0: Welcome to this podcast of the New York City Bar Association. In this episode, HB Proceeding Nuts and Bolts, the second episode in our series on housing part proceedings and the reality of housing court. Agata rumprecht Barons, a court attorney currently assigned to the HB Part and Queen's Housing Court, moderates a panel discussion with Vijay Kitson, a partner at Hertz, Churse, and Rosenthal specializing in landlord-tenant trial advocacy, Rachel Nager, a tenant attorney and advocate representing tenants in housing court, Travis Arendelle, Supervising Attorney at Department of Housing Preservation and Development, and Judge Shorab Ibrahim, a housing judge appointed in 2018. The statements and opinions of each speaker are their own and do not represent the views or opinions of other speakers, the Housing Court Committee, the City Bar, respective law firms, or the Office of Court Administration. Here's Agatha Rumprecht behrens
1: Welcome back, everyone. Last time we were here, we talked about what the HP part is. Today, we wanted to delve more into how the HP cases are filed and what happens when you get to court. But before we get started with our discussion, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Agatha Rumpeth-Berens, and I am a court attorney currently assigned to the housing part in Queens County.
2: Hi, everyone. It's great to be here again. My name is Judge Sharab Ibrahim. I'm a housing judge in the Bronx County, and I've been sitting in the HP part for almost two years now.
1: Hi, everyone.
3: My name is Rachel Nager. I'm a tenant attorney and advocate representing tenants to fight for housing justice issue against displacement and gentrification.
4: Hi, everyone. Again, my name is Travis Arundel. I'm an attorney with uh, New York City Department of Housing Preservation and Development, a supervising attorney there, um, doing uh impact harassment
5: work with the Hi again, everyone. My name is Vijay Kitson. I'm a partner at Hertz, Cherson, Rosenthal, and I specialize in landlord tenant trial ad- advocacy. Um, so last time we were here, we learned, what do you do in preparation before filing an HP case? Who should you reach out to? What should you do to prepare? Um, What are the agencies you can get in touch with and some of the concerns, right? Um, Judge, how do I get in front of you in the first place?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked that question, BJ. Cases can be commenced by a single tenant, a group of tenants, and certainly as we know by HPD. Um, Those cases actually come in front of me in different ways if a tenant is starting the case, they need to file an order to show cause. Um, That is an application to the court saying, please give me a court date because I have this meritorious claim. Um, The court does have some discretion in signing those, but if a tenant is claiming I have repairs, whether there are violations or not violations, um, those will routinely be Signed, HVD commences these cases by petition and notice of petition, usually, and those uh, will get their own court dates. Rachel,
3: yes. So when you want to file a case, um, like we said, uh, a tenant will file it by an order to show cause, and before we go into the technical differences of, you know, and and procedure, um, it's important for tenants to know that there's really three types of HP proceedings. So there's one where you can bring the HP just for repairs, where we've talked about the last episode code violations. There's one if you want to bring an HP just for harassment, or you can bring an HP proceeding for repairs and harassment. Um, so if you're bringing an HP proceeding that includes harassment, that would be a different form when a tenant shows up in housing court to fire order show cause pro se. So it is important to know that so you can notify the clerk who's helping you to say that you want to also file for harassment. So I'm going to... Uh, talk about a case just for repairs because we will talk about harassment in a later episode. So as I'm describing uh, the case, I'm going to be talking about an HP proceeding for repairs only. So when a tenant wants to file pro se for an HP case for repairs, um, you need to know what you should bring to court with you. Um, And the first thing to know is that you must be a lawful occupant. You do not have to be the tenant of record on the lease, but you must be a lawful occupant to bring an HP case. You should know who your landlord is because oftentimes tenants don't realize the landlord is actually an LLC. Um, So if you do have a lease, it's good to sometimes maybe bring the lease with you to court or have a copy of the lease so you know that you're putting the right landlord with the corporation or the individual um, on the petition, the order, show cause, um, and that you actually can serve them correctly. Um, or look at the HPD registration online to know who you can serve to bring this case against. Um, so it's important to know that because the court will want, will want to know if you're the proper party and if you're suing the proper party. Um, so keep that in mind before coming to housing court to file a case for repairs. It's also good to sometimes maybe even bring proof of the conditions, photos printed out, or the HPD violation summary report, um, which you can get online with you. Because like the judge recently just said, signing orders so cause are discretionary. So if you already have that, it's great to uh, bring that to court, know that, you are the proper party. There are violations of record and um, that will be very easy to um, fill out the form, the pro se form and have your order show cause signed by the judge.
2: Rachel, can I just say something here? I'm sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. um, I think it's important to double down on what you're saying right now about bringing proof that you're a lawful occupant, bringing proof that who you're supposed to be suing is the right party and bringing proof of the condition. Often we have applications that do not include any of these things. Um, There will be a name, we don't know who that person is. They will sue another name, we don't know who that person is. And all of that takes time. And of course we are there to provide a service, so we don't mind it, but it does take away from um, actually enforcing the housing maintenance code, which as you said, is our mandate. So it is important for the person who is asking for help with getting their repairs done to bring your lease so that we know that you're a lawful occupant if you're the leaseholder, um, And so that we know who the other side is because while we will try to find that information for, for you by looking on the MDR, the city's website, and we even look up deeds on, the city's website uh, where deeds are recorded, and we do look up um, the HBD website for violation reports. If you came to court with those things, the process goes much quicker, and it makes the life of the court, clerks, court attorney, and the judge much easier. So I just wanted to throw that in there.
3: Right. Well, tenants should know it's not required. You don't have to bring it with you, but it does, like you said, can streamline the experience being in court, filling out the forms, not having to refile because you put in the wrong name of the LLC or whatever. So that does streamline the process and the experience and the time that you have to be in court um, to start the case. So... Once you have all of that information, when a judge signs your order to show cause, that will have a court date on it, and it will have how you must serve the landlord. Um, and that is very important to read and to know, uh, because the, the court will likely order service by certified mail return receipt requested. and. Many times, if you just do it certified mail, or you don't do the return receipt requested, or you don't have that slip, your case can be thrown out on service issues for jurisdictional problems. So make sure that you read the show cause before you even leave the court so you know and can ask any questions to the court right then and how you need to serve and how you can appear for your first court appearance. Um, So you really need to read it very carefully. And the other thing is that many tenants don't realize that when you serve the papers, you have to serve the landlord, but you must also serve HPD. HPD is a statutory respondent in HP proceedings. And oftentimes HPD can waive not receiving service or consent to to Um, jurisdictional issues. Um, But it is important to know that HPD is a respondent, a study respondent, and they technically should be served with the papers. So that's something to
1: keep in mind. Sorry, Sorry, Rachel, I just wanted to add one, uh, two points to this actually. One, I've been seeing a lot of people serving overnight mail with return receipt requested or priority mail with return receipt requested. And Uh, tenants sometimes think that this is a more surefire way of getting the documents to the landlord. But as you said earlier, it's very important to follow the judge's instructions on the order to show cause to a T. And then the other issue I would like to remind everybody that they have to bring their proof of service to court with them on the first court date, because that might uh, not bringing it to court might cause an undue delay in getting the repairs done. Yes. Thank you, Agata. Those are great tips because it is true that, you know, if
3: you don't serve the papers right, your case can't continue. And that is more delay in getting your repairs, having to come back to court, get another court date, you know, file another order show cause. So it's important to note exactly how you need to mail it. Keep the copies and the slips of everything and bring those to court with you. So the other thing to think about too is depending on your income, you may uh, not have to pay the filing fee. So you would just need to fill out an affidavit for a fee waiver. So it's important to keep that in mind um, when you're coming to housing court to file your per se HP case. So, once the judge signs the order to show cause, you have a court date, you have a clear instruction on how you need to serve, and now your case is live. So, once the case is live, HPD attorney will be a part of the case because HPD is the city respondent. And once the case is live, the court will... will. Um, basically, have a judicial inspection. So that is really important because when you are filling out your pro se forms, you also should fill out your your judicial inspection form and you should be very, very specific on that form. You should put which rooms, details of the conditions, read the form very carefully and list everything that you could imagine is a problem in your apartment. Because once the case is live, the HPD will go out to the apartment and do the inspection based on what you put on that form. So if you are having an issue, you wanna make sure it's on the form, so HPD will look at that and place code violations for the judge to then order the repair.
1: Thank you, Rachel, for this explanation on how to file the case. Now let's turn it over to Travis to hear uh, from HPD and what their role in an HP case is.
4: So HPD's role in the HP case, first and foremost, is obviously as the enforcement agency uh, maintaining housing standards within the city of New York is to make sure that the violations if any violations are issued that those violations get corrected so what will happen is you'll you know the case will start the tenant will uh, come in pre-pandemic hpd would conference the cases with the uh landlord and the tenants um the the hpd the first thing i think um tenants should understand is HPD is not the tenant's attorney. Um, But having said that, I think you also need to understand that HPD's role in the case usually 95% of the time is in in unison or is in uh, complements what the tenant is seeking to to achieve in, in the court case. So though HPD is not your technically your attorney, HPD most likely will be advocating for the things that you want done, which is mainly to get the violations uh, fixed. So HPD uh, would 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 seek from the court or from the judge in order to correct those conditions. Um, HPD. Um, will do the reinspection of the of the of the violations after the time has expired uh, for the correction of those violations. And HPD um, could push or in, in conjunction with the tenants, request a, a civil penalties if in fact the owner fails to comply um, with the order to correct or the correction, correction of the conditions. So you know in a, in a very basic way HPD is is for the most part the friends of the tenants um, in trying to seek the repairs of the conditions will advocate for those conditions legally advocate for those for those situations but also rem- but, but also remember that when there is a, a, a situation where the HPD and the tenant are not in, in a uh, in aligned and, and that could be where HPD has not found a violation and the tenant in fact is of the belief that a violation exists um, the tenant will proceed uh, to convince the court or produce evidence to demonstrate that in fact the violation exists and HPD typically would not object or would not, not oppose those that kind of evidence but would just would, but would not be Part of uh, putting that evidence in, unless, of course, um, unless it's it's obviously uh, glaring that in fact there may have been a mistake by the inspector. So, to having said that, talking about the um, what happens in the court case. I think it would be a good uh, transition for us to go into, um, into into what I think are the four basic rules, or what we coined as the golden rules for an HB case. Um, there, As you can imagine, the Housing Maintenance Code is an extensive um, statute with many different regulations, uh, mandates. Um, it can be very confusing. It's, it's confusing to me, even though I've read it hundreds of times, probably. Um, but we, bo- we do believe that if you understand these kind of four principles, and we've discussed some of these principles in our, in, in our previous uh, podcast and, and some of the, the things that we talked about already, if you understand these four basic principles, whether you're the owner or the tenant, you probably have a very good, you would have a very good working understanding and navigating an case, and not only just an case you could navigate a harassment case, you can navigate a 7A case, and these are these are other types of cases that can be brought in. But they all have to do with housing enforcement. So the first thing that, uh, the first rule is that the, the owner has the legal duty to repair. So the Housing Maintenance Code puts on the owner the legal duty to repair. And it's a non-delegable duty. And what that means is that the owner cannot delegate that responsibility or cannot contract its way out of that responsibility. Can't look to a managing agent, can't look to a third party, um, can't contract out of that that duty. Ultimately, they would be responsible for the repair of the property. Whether or not, and it's, it's important to know, whether or not, they paused the condition or created the condition, whether or not the tenant caused or created the condition, the owner still has the legal duty to repair. And, and a good example of this is um, a cooperative, um, typically through a co-op, uh, the cooperative board or the or the executives in charge of the cooperative board would be responsible for the repair of violations within the four corners of the shareholders' apartment. Typically, uh, those those uh, is contracted out for the tenant to actually is responsible for making those repairs. But under the housing maintenance code, um, th- that particular contract provision would not be applicable. The owner or the co-op board would still be ultimately responsible for the repair conditions. And they would have to see. Indemnification through another case um, to to exercise this contractual right against the shareholder. So owner has a duty group here. Second is the uh the, the scope of ownership or the definition of owner is broad in the housing maintenance code. So it's not just the deed owner that is considered an owner of the property, which is fairly simple to understand but if you are the managing agent of the property, you're considered under the code uh, uh, an owner. If you're a person that has direct or indirect control over the building and the things that happen in the building, you would be considered an owner under the law. And finally, which is probably even more important is that the corporate shield, if, you're, if, the, if the property is owned by a corporation, the corporate shield that we understand does not apply in a housing maintenance code case. In fact, the, the housing maintenance code removes the shielding typically given to a corporation and its officers, and it makes those officers or members of LLCs personally liable if in fact they do not comply with the housing maintenance code. The third thing, we've discussed this before, is the presumptions that exist when HPD or any city agency uh, writes a violation, the law, the law gives that uh, issuance of the violation presumptive, it's presumptively um, what it says it is. It's, it's taken as, as truth. Um, and so what happens is it shifts the burden, typically that would have been given to the agency to prove, it shifts the burdens to the landlord if they're trying to prove a violation that doesn't exist or to the tenant if they're trying to prove in fact the violation does exist. So there's a presumption of the law given to city agencies and their computerized records. And um, it's important to know that. And the final thing is, the fourth thing is that failure to certify the correction of the violation is presumptive evidence that the violation does not exist and has not been corrected, and that the violation still exists. So if you're an owner, if a violation has been placed, and you fail to certify the correction of the violation pursuant to the statute, then the law, as it is written, says that the violation still exists, and it's going and it, and it continues, to, continues to exist until such certification or until such time, you prove that, in fact, the violation has been removed. And that, that, that is very important to know because, because when you get into the civil penalty feature of the statute, um, it could be very expensive if, the, if you, if you fail to have certified the violation and, and the court and the law says, well, you didn't do it, it's, it still exists. You can still prove that you corrected it, but now the burden is on you. If you had certified the violation, And uh, then then it would be evidence that in fact the violation was corrected and it would shift the burden on the person saying that in fact, uh, whether it be the tenant or possibly HPD, that in fact it was not corrupted. So if you understand these four rules, um, legal duty belongs to the owner, uh, anyone who's in control, even the officers of the corporations can be sued um, the presumptions of the law that in fact uh HPD computerized record or any city agency's computerized record is, is what it says it is. And fourth, that if you fail to correct those violations uh, or certify the correction of violations, it's considered the violation still exists. If you understand those four things, um you can navigate an HP case you know securely, because everything ultimately runs back. To, the, to, to these principles, um, and so th- these are a, a, a good tool to know how you want to engage. Even if you've never done an HP case or harassment case or anything like that, if you know these things, you'll be you'll be on good footing.
1: Thank you for that, Travis. Um, I think it's very interesting, especially the last rule, where unless the violation is certified as corrected is presumed to still exist. Uh, In Queens, we see this a lot with smaller landlords who do the repairs, but they don't know that they have to certify. Uh, But now that we have heard about how to bring a case and the four golden rules, what do you do if you're a landlord and you have an order to show cause and you must appear in court? Let's start with the question of whether you need to hire an attorney to defend your HP case. What do you think, Vijay?
5: So um, first thing you want to figure out is do you want an attorney and whether or not you can afford one? Um, There is actually no requirement. I think in the last episode, we spoke about how when we're talking about the numbers for housing cases, that corporate entities for the most part require uh, attorney representation in court. That is actually not the case in the, um, the HP part, uh, corporations do not need to be represented by counsel. Um, so it is something that a landlord can decide, um, to do. Um, if you hire an attorney, you should 100% listen to them about how to approach your case. <laughs> um, but if you Go to loan. The first thing you have to do, you need to submit an answer. The um, there's actually no, you would you would find the time frame to submit an answer in the CPLR, which is the um, Civil Practice um, <laughs> Rules and Laws uh, for New York. Uh, but you yeah, have basically you should answer within 20 days of being served your papers. If you live out of New York State, then you have 30 days to do so. If you don't answer by the time you talk to the by the first time you appear in front of a judge, then you should ask the judge for additional time to answer. It's important because if you don't answer, um, you've technically not appeared. Your defenses at trial or defenses on appeal will all get viewed through the lens of your answer. And if you didn't answer, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, It can be it's a written statement that should be notarized and submitted to the court and served on the other side. Um, just to keep it simple for our purposes here, there are more cases that I'm going to or more causes of action that exist that can be brought in the HP part, but very simply, there are cases that are looking for an order to correct um, within the, um, an order finding the landlord guilty of harassment and in both contexts, civil penalties can be attached. So those are the three types of basic proceedings that you see in the HP part. There's also Article 7A proceedings, access warrant cases. Those are uh, probably for a different episode. They're a little bit more technical, but um, to all three, in order to correct harassment, civil penalties, lack of jurisdiction as a defense, whether it's subject matter jurisdiction, something we don't really usually see happen, even though it is a possibility, or personal jurisdiction, that is that you weren't served with the papers properly. Um, these are defenses that hinge on technicalities under the statute, or whether or not you were served your papers properly. Okay, um, there's another there's another um, defense in that the person suing you doesn't have standing. I think Rachel mentioned earlier whether or not you are a lawful occupant being the threshold as to what whether or not you can bring a case. So, um, really, again, generally speaking. Anyone short of a squatter, that being someone who has obtained uh, occupancy through essentially breaking and entering, um, anybody who's a lawful occupant, licensee of a tenant has the ability to bring a case, but if a squatter is suing you in an apartment or in, a, in your house, if you're in a one or two, three family home, then um, that person would not have standing to sue you um again that is something you have to answer to and litigate though um defenses to an order to correct this is what we're talking about repairs um when i say this it is very important to understand that if there is a violation you will be expected to fix it whether or not there are mitigating circumstances as to the time frame is for a separate um issue that's usually with civil penalties and um I think Travis mentioned some of those things in his four golden rules but these defenses should be looked through the same lens of those four rules okay but as far as an order correct goes the conditions complained of are not code violations that's a defense but the tenant can still ask the court to find that something that is not a code violation should constitute or does constitute a violation Um, there's a defense um, in H.P.D. case, in, in cases initiated by H.P.D., that the notice of violation attached to the petition um, is either insufficient or wasn't served on you. Again, that is only against cases where the H.P.D. is suing you, um, and it is actually a reason by which a tenant can sue you in housing court. So that is not a defense to when a tenant initiates an action for repairs. The only real complete defense um, to an order to correct is that you've already fixed it. Um, and again, that viewed through the lens of Travis's rules or the rules that Travis suggests you follow, uh, you have to have documentation that you've done it, receipts, pictures. If HPD has inspected and removed the violation, that is also, uh, there's a presumption that the violation has been cured. Likewise, if you have not had the violation removed and that can mean you didn't certify it properly, or HPD hasn't been out to inspect it yet, it is, again, a presumption that it already exists. So while it is a complete defense, you have to check off a number of boxes. One, you should make sure that HPDs come and inspected um, if they haven't already. And two, you need to have pictures of what you did, receipts for what you did, contractors, materials, things like that. There's another defense of economic infeasibility, which can be interposed as a defense to an order correct, but it's a very complicated defense. It's a difficult defense to prevail under, and it's sort of out of the scope of this discussion, Um, but just for completeness, that is also a defense to an order correct. Um, But again, it should be very made plain for everyone to understand. Um, If there is a violation um, of the code, None of these defenses um, where the violation exists will ever absolve the landlord of actually having to fix the issue um, the mitigating factors are for uh, defenses to civil penalties which we'll talk about later um, I guess to take it back to the judge what judge what can the court do um, if Violations are uncorrected, and a tenant comes in front of you and prevents. Some of
2: that stuff I've already said, but let me try to like put everything in a couple of sentences. So once the court issues an, or determines that an order to correct is appropriate, either after trial or perhaps the parties have even stipulated to an order to correct, which happens um, routinely, Um. The order to correct is going to reference the violations of record. It's going to include access dates for when the landlord is going to come and, you know, if not finish, at least start the uh, process of correcting the conditions. And because we're talking about violations, as Travis spoke about before, the order to correct will say, when each class of violation needs to be completed whether it's 24 hours or 21 days for certain C class violations, 30 days for B class violations, and 90 days for A class violations. So all of that information will be in the order to correct. Um, HPD does have a form order to correct. Um, I've also produced a 409B order to correct um, that the court issues when there's not a stipulation And there's a lot of information in there. And if the tenant is not represented, it's important that all of that gets um, carefully explained to them so that they know what they're getting. Because if the order to correct is not complied with, um, there are additional steps that uh, need to be taken, um, including the tenant seeking civil penalties or contempt of court. Um, Now, those things are their own claims and they are technical, and there are defenses that might be the same or different to an order to correct. And perhaps we can talk about those issues in a future um,
1: podcast. Thank you, Judge, for that thorough explanation of an order to correct. They are very technical court documents. it was great to hear everyone's perspectives on these HP issues regarding repairs. We hope that you will join us in our future episodes where we will discuss harassment cases, how to enforce orders to correct, and other topics relating to getting repairs done in New York City. Thank you for listening to
0: this New York City Bar Association podcast. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar Find more City Bar podcasts and program audio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or on our website at nycbar.org podcasts. This podcast was produced by Alex Cardaris.